And so tonight is Monday, Thursday. And so uh, this evening, I, I want to talk about Monday, Thursday, both then and now. Monday, Thursday, both then and now. Indeed, it's Monday, Thursday, the fifth day of Holy Week. And, and what's interesting, I think, is the enduring significance of this special day. That it's not just about what happened on the first Monday, Thursday, some 2,000 years ago, but also the ongoing relevance, indeed, I would say the profound relevance that Monday, Thursday still provides us today. Now, as many of you know, there are, are four uh, key themes or, or elements to any uh, traditional observance of this special day. And the first is the mandatum novum. The mandatum novum, that's in the, 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 the Latin. And indeed, the first of those two words is where we get the, 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 uh, the uh, name Monday Thursday from mandatum. Uh, in the Latin, it's mandatum novum. In the English, it means a, a new commandment. Uh, indeed, it was within uh, the context of Jesus washing the disciples' feet that Jesus gave them this mandatum novum, this new commandment, namely that they, the disciples, and of course we as disciples ourselves, uh, should love one another even as he loves us. Uh, to, 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 to love one another even as he loves us, uh, which is, a, is a, a, a kind of love that transcends sentimentality, which is uh, common, uh, but is the sort of feelings of love that we, uh, that we practice because it makes us feel good. It trend, the love that Jesus is talking about transcends that, or, or, or love that's uh, just in word only, which of course is not real love at all. And of course, that kind of love and word only doesn't accomplish anything. But instead, new uh, commandment love, if you like, uh, which is a love that acts and is a, a love that serves, obviously, as we read in the gospel from John John's gospel and the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It's, a, it's the kind of love that serves and that no matter how humble the service, it is a, a love that sacrifices itself for the needs and well-being of others, even as Christ sacrifices himself. Because we're talking about his kind of love, his love is the model. He sacrifices himself in love for the needs and well-being of others. In the New Testament, this is uh, called agape love. Uh, it's that kind of love that the, that the Holy Spirit produces in us or uh, works through us uh, when we're submitted to the Holy Spirit's influence, his, his guidance uh, and his power. Indeed, that, that's what actually makes this kind of love possible, uh, that it comes from the Holy Spirit. And to practice this kind of love is to love as Jesus loves. And to love as Jesus loves, Jesus says, is to indicate to others that we are true disciples of his, true disciples of Jesus Christ. Indeed, as we re read at the last uh, part of that gospel reading appointed for this evening, 
from John's Gospel, chapter 13. Jesus said, and a new commandment, in the Latin, the mandatum novum, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And how? Just as I have loved you. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have this kind of love one for another. And so that's the first thing, the, the new commandment, the mandatum novum. And then the second thing is, is you, if you like, uh, the new Passover, or as what we usually refer to it as Holy Communion. Indeed, the connection between Passover and, and Holy Communion, as we know it, is clear. Uh, Jesus instituted a Holy Communion during Passover. It was the Apostle Paul uh, who uh, wrote famously in, his, in the fifth chapter of his first letter to the Corinthians. Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter 5, he said, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed, and therefore let us keep the festival. And so the connection between Holy Communion and, and Passover is clear. Now, uh, uh, Passover under the Old Covenant looked back to the Exodus. In fact, if you, if you um, uh, read the Old Testament, this is uh, something that's referred to over and over again. Uh, looking back to the Exodus, it's the sort of the seminal event uh, under the Old Covenant. And God's uh, delivering uh, his people, the Israelites, uh, from uh, uh, slavery in Egypt. And, and, and then that Passover, that first Passover night, before it was uh, memorialized every year on what? On the 14th day of the first month. But on that, on that first uh, uh, Passover night, God uh, seeing the blood of the Passover lamb that had been smeared on the lentil and on the doorpost of the homes of the Israelites. And, and, and so when God was pouring out his judgment uh, on the Egyptians, uh, when he saw the blood on the lentil and on the doorposts, and when he saw the blood, he passed over, which is why it's called Passover. When God saw the blood, he passed over. And many of the themes within the Old Testament pass over are, are present in the new. But, but the new Passover has a, a new focus. The, the new Passover, Holy Communion, uh, looks back not to the exodus of the Israelites, but it looks back to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And, and then, interestingly enough, it also looks forward. It looks forward to his coming again. And so as Jack read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, so uh, we read again that uh, the Apostle Paul saying to the Corinthians, for what I received from the Lord, I also deliver to you this, this teaching, this truth, that I received, I pass it on to you, that the Lord, uh, on the night that he was betrayed, that's this night, Monday, Thursday, and the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread. And he said to the disciples, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance. Look back <laughs> when I'm gone. Do this in remembrance of me. And then Paul says in the same way, he took the cup after supper. That is the cup of wine. And, and Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant. 
the new covenant, not the old covenant, but the new covenant in my blood. There's the blood again. Do this as often as you drink it, Jesus said, in remembrance of me. And then Paul says, and so as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death and that until he comes. <laughs> Looking forward to his coming again. And so uh, we have a, a new Passover uh, with a new looking back and a, a new looking forward, as we say it uh, every Sunday in our Eucharistic uh, liturgy. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And it was on this night, this very night, that Jesus instituted for us the new Passover of Holy Communion. And so we have the new commandments and the new Passover. But then thirdly, we have the betrayal of Judas. Indeed, Jesus knew all about Judas. Indeed, from start to finish, from the time he met him to the time he saw him last, Jesus knew all about Judas because Jesus knows everything. Jesus knew what uh, Judas was all about. He knew what Judas was doing. He knew what Judas was going to do. Seemingly, Judas was displeased, perhaps seemingly even more than the other disciples about the way that Jesus was handling himself uh, that week, what we now call Holy Week and those days leading up to his passion. Presumably, Judas would have very much preferred if Jesus had uh, joined forces with the religious establishment in Jerusalem against the Romans and then as king and Messiah and with the backing of the religious establishment uh, to lead a revolt uh, against the Romans. But uh, Jesus didn't do that. Indeed, Jesus day in and day out in that last week of his life before his passion and resurrection, he openly criticized the religious establishment, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the teachers of religious law, which was uh, indeed, as Judas would have seen it, uh, almost uh, uh, certain to bring about all of the things that Jesus said was going to happen uh, when they got to Jerusalem. Indeed, when we uh, read in Mark's gospel, in chapter 10, beginning at verse 33, we see what Jesus was saying to the disciples in anticipation of what would happen when they got to Jerusalem. But we read in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, and beginning at verse 33, and Jesus said, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man, referring to himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, that is, to the Romans. And the Romans will mock him and spit on him and flog him, that is, scourge him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. And so seemingly in his anger and frustration, indeed, Judas hadn't hitched his wagon to Jesus and followed him around Palestine for three and a half years to get to Jerusalem with a dead Messiah. He was going to Jerusalem and expected a living Messiah that would conquer the Romans and, and rule from Jerusalem with Judas seated beside him. But this obviously wasn't happening. 
And so Judas sells Jesus out to the, the religious establishment for 30 pieces of silver. It's extraordinary. Why didn't he sell him out for nothing? But uh, Judas, always the man about money. And so sold him out for 30 pieces of silver, agreeing to, to lead them to Jesus at a time when they might arrest him. Uh, and, and that apart from any threat of any civil unrest. And as we all know, uh, in this, Judas was su successful. And Jesus was arrested on the Mount of Olives on this night in the Garden of Gethsemane, which arrest set off a chain uh, of events leading to a complete fulfillment of everything that Jesus said would happen to him beginning on this very night. Indeed, it all happened on this night with Judas's disingenuous greeting of peace and his notorious kiss of betrayal. And so we have the new commandment, the new Passover, the betrayal of Judas, and then finally the denial of Peter. Indeed, even within this context of Jesus talking about all that he was going to suffer uh, in Jerusalem, uh, all of the disciples that pledged their unending loyalty to Jesus, uh, indeed, they all stated in uncertain terms that uh, they were all ready and willing to die for with him if it, if it came to that. And of course, it was uh, Peter. Uh, who was most adamant and, and vocal in all of this. Uh, he was the one that said that uh, even if all the rest uh, should uh, be disloyal and forsake Jesus, he would never <laughs> forsake Jesus. Uh, but in the end, when it was clear that Jesus was in trouble, of course, they all ran for cover. All that is but Peter, in fact, it was Peter who went after Jesus and followed under cover of darkness after Jesus was arrested and then led to Jerusalem and to the house of the high priest where Jesus was put on a trial. In John's gospel, we're told that Peter, when Peter got to the, to the, to the home of, of the high priest, that there was another uh, uh, disciple who was known to the high priest. It may very well have been Nicodemus or someone else like that who brought Peter in uh, so that he could watch and see what was to happen next. It doesn't seem that uh, Peter went uh, too far into the room. In fact, it seems like he rather hung around uh, by the door. Uh, just to, So he just was just in far enough where he could see. But in the meantime, a combination of household servants and members of the of the uh, temple guard questioned Peter. They thought for sure that he was a disciple of Jesus's. And, uh, the, the way he dressed and the way he carried himself, and, in fact, uh, is mentioned in the gospels that he had a, a, a Northern Galilean accent. But uh, Peter, as we know, he denied it. Uh, he denied it. In fact, he didn't just deny it once. He denied it three times. And, uh, one might uh, suggest that uh, perhaps if the if the cock hadn't crowed when it did, he would have just kept on denying that he knew who Jesus was. 
And so when Jesus was in his greatest time of need, when he really needed a friend if he ever did, all of his friends forsook him. Never mind all of their pledges of undying loyalty. When the pressure was on and the choice was between Jesus and themselves, self won out. And so how about you? What would you have done if you had been in Peter's shoes? Or perhaps you're even in a situation right now where, of course, the stakes aren't nearly as high as they were for Peter's not probably a matter of life or death, but there's still a cost involved. There's still a cost to pay. If in this situation in which you find yourself, you're to stay true to Christ. If you were to stay true to Christ, you'd have to pay that cost. And so I wonder, will you pay that cost? Monday, Thursday, then and now, let us pray. I think it's interesting, Lord, when we read the scriptures, it never starts off uh, once upon a time in a faraway land. It isn't a fairy story. It's gospel history. These things happened and we remember that Peter and John later, after the Spirit came and after their own lives were being threatened, they said, we cannot keep silent about the things we've seen and heard. Which things we have recorded for us in the New Testament, which things we've considered tonight. It's not uh, just some fairy story about some time long ago in a faraway land. It's about things that matter to us, things that speak to us. If we would be true disciples of Jesus Christ, and I think uh, it wouldn't be too far-fetched to say that on a fairly regular basis, uh, we're challenged along these things, whether we'll obey, whether we'll be true, or whether we'll do what perhaps we think other people want us to do or what the culture wants us to do or whatever it is, and do it contrary to your will and contrary to Jesus's will. In other words, to be unfaithful rather than to be true and to be loyal. And so as we think on these things tonight, Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would have an appetite for loyalty, an appetite for faithfulness, and that we wouldn't fool ourselves into imagining ourselves as more faithful than we might be, but to have a true estimate of ourselves. And from this point in which we find ourselves to move forward in strength, in the power of the Spirit, and to be ever growing in faithfulness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.